Hi, I'm Francis Hellier, and welcome to my brand new podcast, Metaverse. This is a podcast for the future-minded, a series for anyone on the hunt for the next big thing and all its possibilities and implications. This is Tomorrow's World Today. With each episode, I will chat to those at the top of their fields, from futurists in crypto and space travel to forecasters in business and tech. Together, we will ask the question, what's next? Today, I'm joined by Theo Priestley, leading tech futurist, best-selling author, and public speaker. Theo is the founder of Metapunk, a consultancy that focuses on business, technology, and culture-impacting organizations, helping them navigate their futures. As a keynote speaker, he's on a variety of topics, including artificial intelligence and virtual reality, just to name a few. Also, as an author, he's written many articles for publications such as Forbes and Wired, and he recently co-authored a book, The Future Starts Now, which provides insight into how business and society will transform over the coming years. Theo, it's great to have you on the show. Hi, Francis. Thanks for having me. A real pleasure. So you founded Metapunk, an agency consulting on business technology and cultural impacts, um, and all those things will arrive out of the metaverse. Yeah. Tell us more about what you do. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I've been in the tech industry for about 20 odd years and, and 10 of that has been, I guess, studying the trends, um, the technology trends, what's been happening, uh, what businesses need to do. And all, and it's, it slowly started to converge into what we now call metaverse. Um, it's been coming for a while. This isn't a new topic as such, you know, Second Life and other platforms have been around for a, a large number of years. People have lived and breathed it operated businesses within it, made money inside it. Um, and it's only just this sort of recent fever over the last couple of years, especially with the rise of Fortnite. And now Facebook wanted to throw their hat into the ring that everyone's like paying attention. You know, what is this metaverse kind of sort of thing? And so I, I took all my experience over the last sort of 10, 15 years and said, right, well, I've seen the convergence happening. Let's go for it. Let's tackle this and let's try and help people um, understand it, you know, whether you're a business, whether you're a brand or a consumer, whether you're an investor, because it's a very hot space right now. Um, and I think investors have a fear of missing out, you know, but they don't understand it. So I kind of thought I launched Metapunk um, because I see Metapunk also as the term used to uh, describe the culture. So we've had cyberpunk, solarpunk, steampunk, and now Metapunk. So I kind of grabbed onto that and thought this is a really good brand name for something as well. How would you define the metaverse? It, it's almost like a digital extension of our physical reality just now. So if you can imagine like digital twins in industry where you have a physical machine streaming real-time data and it's digital equivalent taking in that data and you can imagine it, you can predict scenarios and things. Uh, metaverse is more or less the same thing. It's somewhere where businesses and people can um, exist in a, a digital or virtual form and interact with each other much the same way we do physically. Okay, so tell us a little bit more about Metapunk, how it came to be and where you're going to go with that. Yeah, so uh, like I said, I kind of sort of took all my, my knowledge over the last 10, 15 years, seen the convergence. Metapunk itself is, is what I call my agency. Um, it's, a, it's quite a strong brand as well because it's kind of rolls off the tip of the tongue, kind of funky with a punk name as well. But again, what I want to do with it is, is advise brands, uh, advise businesses as to what they need to think about if they want to enter the metaverse, if they want to take their brand into it, what do engagement models look like with consumers who are in there? 
you know, how do I advertise my goods? Because it's no longer a case of having a static banner ad on a website. You have to think about a 3D space now. What can I build that will engage? Um, how do I transact? What are the currencies there? What do people look for? In terms of, uh, you know, industrial applications, because it's not all about consumer and entertainment, you know, how can I take what I do as a business, as a manufacturer, and simulate that on a much larger scale? Like building um, smart cities, for example, I could build a smart city in the metaverse and simulate it before I even laid a, a flagstone or a bit of pavement kind of sort of thing. And then examining the, uh, you know, I, I want to examine the, the technologies. So understand the technologies, whether it's uh, engines like Unity or Unreal Engine and others, uh, the infrastructure layers that are going to be needed to handle all the communication, all the data, the, the, the NFT craze. So there's obviously a blockchain and cryptocurrency layer as well for transaction um, and how people are going to be able to, I guess, buy physical, well, buy virtual goods and what they're going to do with it. Right now, we're seeing a lot of collectibles, but the missing part is utility. What do we do the next step? And then the cultural side of things, what's the societal impact? Because I see what I term Generation M. So we've got Generation Alpha, which is the, the, the people, that are, uh, the kids that have been born now, but what comes after them in 2025 for the next 15 years is Generation M, which is basically kids who will want to basically live out their lives digitally. So, you know, they'll carve out a career much like the YouTube streamers were have done already twitch streamers and youtube streamers um, and influencers but purely within the metaverse itself and we've lived through a pretty intense last period and oh, yeah. lots of lots of companies have pivoted towards doing things differently and i think some of the companies that have embraced embraced technology even more than before have come out to the fore so what's your key piece of advice for businesses that to drive their way through the pandemic and towards a very different future so one of the, the things that I've been telling businesses is understand what the cultural impact of the pandemic has been and people's attitudes towards work. It's now not work. It's not really working from home or working remotely. It's working anywhere. You know, if physically, I don't have to be in an office anymore. I can work hybrid. I can work at home. I could work on a beach and a coffee shop, that kind of thing. If my work allows that, obviously for retail and stuff like that, you know, people are physically having to have demanding jobs as well so construction retail that those things might not change so much but for other office-based work employers need to understand that the technology is there now to allow their workforce to be as flexible as possible and they have to flex now as well to survive because what you'll find is um, if you head out of this pandemic with the same attitudes that you came into it people won't tolerate that and they'll move on to employers who've embraced a different way of working and support um, employees and, and the workforce. And then you have now this, this whole sort of virtualized environment now metaverse where again what we're going to see is a repeat of what happened with Second Life which is businesses will build a virtual presence in the metaverse and will want to actually allow some employees to transact fully in there. Um, and then that brings in a whole set of different attitudes and cultures around how do I act in the metaverse? Because obviously there's there's this demarcation line between physical me, how I transact with someone like yourself like this, and then how I would actually do it as a virtual embodiment of myself. You know, is there a new set of uh, rules, regulations, and sort of HR policies that need to be employed, you know, because you're now virtualized. So it's very, you know, it's 
different different way of uh, engaging completely. But um, again, the human side of things needs to be thought out before you just rush all in and build something. You know, I think that's that's the the advice I'm giving to some companies just now is sit down and think first before you rush out and build something that you don't truly understand. That makes sense. Now you've written lots of articles about technological trends and all your predictions. What should we be keeping an eye out at the moment for? So, I mean, obvious things, metaverse, so extended realities, um, which, you know, um, they won't suit every business. How do brands engage in these new realities? You know, um, we've got augmented reality, mixed reality, virtual reality. Um, if I have a, a consumer or a business model that uses these, then what do I need to think about in terms of how do I engage? How do I transact? Um, if I initiate a transaction in that environment, do I need to go then? Does it send the, the, the consumer or the person to a website which breaks the whole chain kind of sort of thing uh, and that immersion? Um, artificial intelligence, so we're going to see a lot more coming out of that. And I do see the large-scale simulation capabilities of what the metaverse will bring from a business perspective will actually add a lot more value and drive a lot more advancements in uh, deep learning and uh, machine learning because of the amount of information that's going to be contained there. Um, if you think about what's missing just now is the, the capturing of the interaction of people um, and businesses and how I move around in my environment. You've suddenly got that extra dimension and uh, uh, of data, but also intent behind that action when you're in a virtualized environment. That can actually drive a lot more intelligence behind that. Um, in terms of advancing how much data could be captured. So we'll see some advancements in artificial intelligence, um, I think, coming out of this, not immediately, but certainly in the next sort of 10, 15 years. I think it's always fascinating that there's a, there's a difference between what we'll experience perhaps on a personal level and how we experience things professionally. Um, and perhaps from a personal standpoint, what's the entertainment of the future look like? Volumetric. Um, I wrote an, an article, um, very sort of volumetric, very um, interactive and engaging and immersive. Uh, I wrote an article about the future of, sort of music and movies in the metaverse. And I think once we get our head around what does that mean to actually produce something in a 3D space, we'll actually find people launching record, record labels and producing music fully inside the metaverse using tools within the metaverse not actually tools that are sitting on my desktop, for example. The same with movie making as well. If you can imagine The Mandalorian is a great example of next, next evolutionary step in filmmaking because they're using LED screens um, and they're using Unreal Engine to produce the sort of um, the environment of those screens. Now, if you can imagine, if you're putting all that work into building a virtualized environment in Unreal Engine, there's nothing to stop you from producing something that will actually draw the user straight into that environment and actually be part of it. So while we're watching The Mandalorian as a static screen, the next step is if you actually created that in a metaverse context, I could actually enter that scene entirely and view it from any angle. Um, and that's something that's really going to be quite exciting. Um, I don't think anyone's kind of wrapping their head around that. Even I can't wrap my head around that just now, but that's going to be really exciting. So we can both be Jedis and fight with lights. <laughs> Very new future. That's fantastic. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure you're right. I'm sure Disney has already thought of this uh, to create that immersive space. And it's really exciting to see how that, how that develops. Talking about these big businesses, you've previously worked for Siemens and Bosch. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Yeah, I mean, I've worked for them um, as 
clients of mine. So um, they engaged with me to do some specific pieces of work in terms of uh, speaking for them or uh, writing some articles. Um, for Siemens, I did some work on smart cities. For Bosch, I spoke at their connected, uh, connected world, I think it's called, um, IoT event. So I gave a keynote there, which was uh, really good fun. Um, I've done pieces of work for um, Aeon as well, where I've sat with their European uh, leadership team and uh, and I've basically given them an appreciation of what will happen in the next 20 years and how that will affect their insurance business. So, um, you know, I work with different clients in different ways, depending on how they want to engage. So you're also very active in the startup space, Theo. Um, and I suppose that we, if you look back at the end of the financial crisis, there were some fantastic businesses that were born of that experience and of that period. So... What do you think is going to happen now? There's lots of sort of teenagers and, and young adults sat in their bedrooms coming up with new fascinating ideas from the metaverse or, or anywhere else. So where do you think we're going to go? It's definitely a creator economy right now. I mean, if you look at the explosion of NFTs in the crypto space, um, everybody's actually enjoying the fact that they can express the, uh, a creative side to themselves and then make money from that as well. I think the missing layer was, how do, I, uh, how do I make money from this? How do I democratize what I do and give it to everybody or give access and get it out there? Um, and, and there's been a great um, explosion of, um, of artists coming together where traditionally they, they would have websites and put stuff on ArtStation and it would, it, they wouldn't be able to engage that much with the community. But the community is really driving this forward. And, and I think that's where the next set of startups will come from is understanding the needs of what, what does the community want to do? What do they want to see? What do they want to buy? What do they want to engage with? Um, and that will create all these new layers of different types of startups. So what we've seen traditionally before is um, web 2.0 startups. So you know video streaming, websites, that kind of thing. Uh, now it's all going to be sort of immersive entertainment based, um, driven by what's coming out for, for the metaverse, different platforms. The community space will create marketplaces for that. And I think, like I said before, the really important part is the utility angle. So not just collecting art, but what can I do with it? You know, if I create a scan of a 3D object, I can sell that and then someone else can take that object, put it into an environment and make use of it. That's really going to drive a lot of fo things forward. Um, I see there's, there's a, a good sort of connection of dots happening right now. Um, the next the next level is obviously building the spaces so we can take that all those creations and, and make use of them. But that's coming. But it's good to sort of populate this whole thing with the community. And talking of looking forward, I mean, your recent book, The Future Starts Now, looks towards all the different various innovations and technologies that may shape our future. Can you tell us about the book, how you came to write it? And did you discover anything within yourself writing that book? Yeah, I mean, I, I've got to admit, I cheated slightly with the book because I involved a, a number of collaborators with this. So I have a co-author uh, that we worked together and edited the book and wrote a couple of chapters each, Bronwyn Williams, who's a futurist based in South Africa. Um, but, you know, both of us wanted to write a book before, but it's a large scale effort to sit down and write 60,000, 70,000 words on a very, very broad topic. And I mean, and I am not an expert in a lot of the things that are discussed in the book. So the idea was to bring together a really diverse group of people from all over the world um, who are professional futurists, who have uh, studied trends, but aren't called futurists in a sense. 
and write about their particular fields and what they see for the future. So we have people talking about the economy, artificial intelligence, future of education, cyber warfare, um, space, you know, that kind of sort of thing. Um, so we try to uncover as many stones as possible in this book, but also get a, a range of voices that people could relate to. Um, and then the idea of the book was to sort of say, this is what could happen if we don't take a stake in the future. You know, you have a stake in the future, even though it's been driven a lot by the technology and, and the billionaires um, of the world right now. As individuals, we still have a collective say. So if you don't like what's been presented in the book, go out and say something about it. A couple of years ago, you did that fantastic TED talk about following a robot leader. And for those of our listeners who haven't seen that yet, can you describe that whole story and, and, and where you came to that fantastic idea? Yeah, I mean, I was invited to do a, a TEDx and, and, and it was daunting because there was 2000 people in the audience. And it was one of these situations where it's like, what, what story can I tell that everyone in that audience can relate to? Because, you know, you had all age ranges, every kind of profession, you know, that kind of sort of thing. So it's not a typical keynote speech because you usually know which audience you're giving it to. So I wanted to relay about um, artificial intelligence and where it could lead. So what does it mean? And leading it through to the different types of artificial intelligence that exist, put it in context so people could understand, you know, because there's not, not many technical people uh, in that audience. But then I wanted to take it outside of the just the purely sort of AI technical side of things and say, well, for, philosophically, what does that mean for the human, human race um, and humanity? Um, you know, if we have robots or if we have an intelligence running around doing stuff for us, what does that mean for us? And the idea that it gives us more freedom to explore what humanity is and our creative side was an angle that I really wanted to sort of push forward, like a, a golden renaissance where we start to come out of this, where we let the AI do the mundane stuff and we explore what we can do as people, as a set of societies collectively together to push ourselves forward again. So that was the kind of journey and the story that I wanted to, 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 to bring to the TEDx. And yeah, it, it worked. It was, yeah, it was nerve wracking, but it was great. I loved it. And what sort of feedback did you get from the audience afterwards? Oh, um, I had lots of people coming up to me because they were like, oh, I didn't, I did, I, you know, I didn't envisage, you know, thinking that way because every time someone talks about AI, it's always about Terminators and dystopia and, and the robots are coming and uh, there's no room for humanity. But if we let them do all the horrible stuff, you know, it means that we don't have to. Um, the whole thing about automation that get, you know, kind of sort of gets my goat a little bit is, you know, there's lots of software out there that automates lots and lots of tasks for us. But instead of giving us free time, all it does, all, the, all, all we're doing right now is just filling that free time with just more work. And it shouldn't be like that. Um, so what we should be doing is saying, right, how can we structure our work that if we use all these tools, we only have to work four days a week instead or three days a week. And what does that give us back? More time to, on social media, I think, is probably the Well, well yeah. <laughs> the, the last thing I want to do is spend more time on the Twitter or Facebook. But <laughs> so, so do you think, I mean, do, do you agree that the geeks have finally taken over the world or we're not quite there yet? No, we're not quite there yet. Um, and it all depends on what you mean by geek. Because, I mean, every, you know, every geek um, generation evolves as well. So... I've had but, a fair few of my own my own geek generations I've lived through. <laughs> I've been in all of them. <laughs> and on that note, what do you say for the sort of anti-futurist community? Because any new technology, any new space like this, 
um, where we're, we're all getting very excited and passionate about all the things that could be. There's always a pushback from people who, who don't want those things to take place. You touched on it with the idea of this dystopian vision of, of the future that's portrayed in, in lots of sci-fi, but also in, in many articles. Mm-hmm. So what's your response to the anti-futurist community? I actually think we need them because we need those voices of pragmatism and realism. I mean, I myself, you know, for a good number of years became quite jaded with the technology scene, primarily driven by what I was seeing from Silicon Valley and what was actually being funded by the VCs. Uh, there was, you know, there was a lot of useless and pointless tech that added no value, but was purely seen from a financial point of view. If I invest five million, I'll get twenty back, kind of thing, and that's all. That's all it was being driven by. And I, and I think that people who have a cynical and dissenting voice are, are necessary, to be honest, because they're the ones that call out when when we should be paying attention to things that potentially could be going the wrong direction. So, you know, I did that for a while. And yeah, you can you know, kind of butt heads with people and stuff like that. But um, I think the metaverse presents a, a really exciting proposition for us. Again, if you give all that control to one or two parties like Facebook or Google and stuff, then obviously it can be mismanaged and there, there could be dystopian paths there. But at the same time, because of the level of creator community that's out there, the metaverse isn't just one thing. I think that the metaverse will actually be as ubiquitous as websites. Everybody will have their own personal idea of what a metaverse is. They'll build their own spaces for themselves, like a private one that they can exist in. And they can connect that to other metaverse as well. It always feels um, some of the pushback that people tend to get when talking about metaverse and all the ideas around artificial reality or virtual space, et cetera, is it's very much for the young. So how does this world translate for people's parents and grandparents? Much the same way that we've all had to adapt to um, new technologies ourselves. So, you know, my, you know, I finally got my mum using WhatsApp, for example, and then, you know, I haven't taken the step further to <laughs> use Zoom yet, but <laughs> we'll get there eventually. But, you know, I think every generation has that sort of subset where they want to be involved. I mean, I was born in the 70s and I've literally gone through every single iteration of, of technology. And it's just about who I am that I want to immerse myself in all of it just to keep up. Um, whereas you've got, you know, certain, you know, you've got other uh, generations who still want to program a VCR because that's all they want to think about. You know, you can't drag everybody kicking and streaming into this world that we're, that we're building now, but there will be people who will want to engage, who will want to be a part of it, purely because it's that's how they feel about technology, they feel about their lives, they feel passionate about just being involved because it's still you're still a part of society, whether you live virtually or physically. I think that's right. And I think being born in the 70s and living through the 80s, this fantastical world we're about to create is, is just what we dreamed of as kids. You know, this Absolutely. Is exactly yeah. where we wanted to go. So I, I, feel, I feel quite uh, you know, grateful in some ways that that's our era. And that's, that's, that's exactly what's finally happening. It took a long time. Yeah, I mean, all those TV series we used to watch um, where there was that kind of sort of blending of physical, you know, virtual and physical realities. Remember Lawnmower Man from years ago with uh, Brosnan? I mean, you know, it's, we've seen it all. We've, we've seen the, the movie and the Hollywood uh, depictions of it. And now we're getting to kind of finally catch up to, to living through it ourselves. Things right. People ask where the ideas are coming from. We say, well, you know, probably from the 80s. <laughs> yeah, nothing is new. <laughs> so what does the future hold for you, Theo? 
So, I mean, I'm working, obviously I'm working for Metapunk, which is my own business now, and I'm pushing that forward. I'm doing a lot more writing now because I've rediscovered my passion for that, which is great. I'm actually just about to sign up for uh, one of China's largest uh, uh, accelerators as a mentor. So I'm going to be going back to doing some startup mentoring there, speaking with um, investors and family offices who want to try and understand what's going on with the metaverse and, you know, that's another part which uh, I'm exploring as well. Um, so I want to try and give back as much as possible, to be honest. Well, Theo, the worlds you've described, I definitely want to live in them. So thank you so much for your time. It's been great having you on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me, Francis. Real pleasure. You've been listening to Metaverse with me, Francis Elliott. Thank you to my guest, Theo Priestley, for a brilliant conversation. Tweet us at Metaverse Pod with any suggestions or feedback. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please share a link on social media. You can sign up to receive an email when a new episode drops at our website, metaverse.fm. Metaverse.